In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Truly he is risen. On this Feast of the Resurrection, you and I find ourselves at the pool at Bethesda. And that reminds us that the mindset of Israel was waiting for a miracle. That was part of it. That was their world. Each afflicted person there is filled with hope that an angel will trouble the waters of the pool and that he will be the first to enter the waters and be healed. You and I may well be waiting for a miracle to improve our life. Among other things, we clearly see Israel's assumption that there is a lively interaction between that celestial beyond and the earthly here and now, mediated in this case, as in quite a few others, by an angel. And we know we know how richly that assumption will be liturgically utilized by the faithful of the new Rome. And therefore, once again, we are reminded of the immense value of the deep liturgical heritage of the Church, whose very structure of assumptions carries the mind of the Church of the Old Israel into the mind of the Church of the New. We also see God working through his surrogates, if you will, through his saints, among whom are those ranks of angelic beings whose works we know. The fathers, commenting on the Gospel, Note that in bringing ailing Jews to the pool of Bethesda for healing, God is also preparing them to accept the healing of the baptismal waters. Every font in this case being itself a reflection of that miraculous pool at Bethesda. The fonts will heal the interiorized disabling of the human person, not just his physical disabilities. Also, the fathers note that the healing agent is not the pool, not the waters, or else healings would be going on all the time. But rather, healings result from an interaction between an angel and the water at Bethesda, God seen once again using a part of his creation to effect healing. Here the material agent is water, 
But we know how frequently the material element is olive oil, or a spice, or a piece of wood. At Bethesda, as the fathers note, it is the disabling infirmity that impedes the healing at the baptismal waters in a font, nothing will impede healing, nothing at all. The entire world could gather at baptismal fonts and all would be healed since grace is inexhaustible. About this paralytic we can safely impute to him the prime virtue of patience and the ability to hope against the evidence, to not descend into despair and discouragement. We note these virtues and their key role in today's gospel. Had this man just given up and asked to be carried off, he would not have been healed, but more to the point, the real point, he would not have encountered the God-man. And although the paralytic answers that he has no man to take him to the healing place, which is true enough in his own daily experience, we, we know another truth, and that is that he does have such a man, the God-man, as he is about to discover. This is another key element in today's gospel, key for all of us who can run out of patience with someone about something, run out of patience with life itself. The fathers note that our paralytic could have answered Christ with embitterment and blame and annoyance and with disrespect but he does none of those things, although faced in his own estimation with literally an impossible situation. The fathers remind us that Christ's command, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk, is exactly what the God-man says to you and to me when we ourselves plead paralysis, as our excuse for not doing this or for doing that. It is exactly what the God-man says to our spiritual paralysis. As happens on other occasions, Pharisees complained that this miracle of deliverance entailed the paralytic carrying his bed huh, on the Sabbath. This contains an immense teaching for us concerning where we need to be careful and particular and disciplined and where those otherwise powerful virtues are out of order, uncalled for, and inappropriate. We learn again that the pharisaical spirit, well-intentioned and well-informed as it may be, is not often spoken well of in the New Testament. It is, in fact, a form of what the theologian John Romanides calls religion, 
as a negative experience or mindset, as opposed to Christian faith, which always involves the healing of the human noose, that mind that lives inside our heart. Finally, the fathers note that although there is not an automatic or mechanical cause and effect relationship between our sins and our health, in this case, hmm, there was. Christ appears to the healed paralytic, whom he finds significantly enough in the temple, and warns him to sin no more lest worse things befall him. So, out of all the evils that can befall you and me in the course of a day, yes, some can befall us because of our own sins, yes. And if the truth is that with some difficulty you and I have to deal, what we have to deal with is indeed the result of our own sins, then the difficulty that results from our sin is God's chastisement, which you and I have to see as lessons which purify us, if we ourselves cooperate with the chastisement in a good spirit, knowing that we will not be charged with a particular sin at the last judgment that has been forgiven. Those who are never chastised in this life, say the fathers, those who are never chastised for their sins, should tremble, say, at the prospect of eternal punishment. Thus the patristic mind counsels us to access genuine gratitude to God when we actually are being chastened. Let us endure all things with thanksgiving, as the patristic commentary on today's theme puts it. God is correcting us and not leaving us in a state of spiritual dereliction. That is the force of chastisement. And for that, glory to God for all things, and to that, Amen. Christ is risen. Truly is risen.